So we've been talking about remakes for about two weeks now. We're about mm-hmm. in the middle of this uh, themed month. And we're kind of, uh, through these movies, developing our idea of what possibly makes a successful remake versus what, you know, doesn't. So wh- what, do you, what are your thoughts so far on that? Yeah, uh, varied in many. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So far for me, I think the biggest thing with a remake, the most important thing is to keep the heart, Mm -hmm. whatever that is. Like you need to identify its core and then develop around that, right? Yeah. So, you know, like um, one of my favorite things to talk about uh, in terms of how music works, right? And covers, which is the remake version of music, right? Yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah. Not sorry. That sounds like I'm explaining to you, and I'm just my brain's just going at uh, <laughs> its own pace today. So, with covers, I always ask people the question of like that. I ask that I ask people this question all the time, like what makes a good cover? Because I used to do a lot of arrangements mm-hmm. um, back in, when I was still in the industry, and I always bring up the example of Frank Ocean and his legal issues with Don Henley of the Eagles, right? Mm-hmm. So Frank Frank Ocean's first mixtape. Uh, Nostalgia Ultra, fucking amazing, and has a what I believe is a cover of Hotel California, right? Which f- should fall under fair use and parody, or as he did, you offer to pay for the rights. Yeah, yeah. So what Frank Ocean did was take the stems from Hotel California, it's just the music, right? Mm-hmm. And then wrote new lyrics over it, wrote a story over it. Mm-hmm. So he replaced the nonsense <laughs> lyrics of the original, <laughs> which are garbage. And kept the amazing music. Um, and that pissed off Don Henley because he's like, but I wrote those words and they're important. It's like, no, you kind of just did a bunch of confuddled references, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that that is like one of my most successful remakes in my head. Um, yeah. And the difference would be like, okay, so and, and the, I guess the other the thing I don't want to do like a negative definition as opposed to a positive one is I don't want, even though I love both the movies, um, Funny Games. Mm-hmm. Same director, he made a shot-for-shot remake with different actors. Yeah. And in English instead of in German. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the original is in, I believe, in German or Austrian, something like that. And he was like, oh, I want this movie to go to America. I'm going to remake it with Tim Roth <laughs> and uh, Michael, what's his name, mm-hmm. and Naomi Watts. And so he did that. And it's just it's a... a complete shot for shot remake there's not a single difference between the two movies other than the language and the actors Mm -hmm. that is a remake it does change the performance right right um and his direction probably changed but i don't want that from other remakes you know Mm -hmm. like that's a weird example where i actually do enjoy it but i don't want it got it yeah Mm -hmm. and then yeah i guess the other sort of negative definitions is i don't want you to just sort of take the same characters and just slap a different plot onto it or something like that you know Mm -hmm. like a, a complete retread is very boring. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these remakes that Disney's doing, right? They're live action remakes mm-hmm. of their famous cartoon movies. Just don't land because it's like, okay, but you kind of didn't do anything new or exciting with it. You kind of just sort of like did a find and replace. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Is that track? Yeah. Cool. What about you? So I, I definitely agree with everything you just said, actually. Um, it's because I'm so smart and pretty. <laughs> exactly. You've got a lot going for you. Um, I'm, just, I'm just a winner. I think I think for me, yeah, I, I it's it's easy to compare it to a cover. Mm-hmm. And what I'm looking for in a cover of a song is you've kept the heart, 
Yep. I it's it's recognizable in some way, um, even if it's just like you know I don't know the baseline or the same arpeggiation or like whatever. Totally. Um, I can at least go oh oh my god I've heard that before like what is that um, or it's you know you're directly you know just covering it but I think you need to add something to it like your own spin your own point of view mm-hmm. um, your or you're mixing genres. Yeah. Like I've seen so many amazing musicians do this on TikTok where they cover a song and they're like, what if this song was a punk song? Or what if this song, yes. what, like I love that. Um, Our good friend FS Chill. Yeah. Uh, does, if you have, if you don't follow him on TikTok or on Instagram, you absolutely should. He's a friend of mine from college. We, uh, we played music together a bunch and he is one of the he understands what how a cover works in just a brilliant fucking way. Sorry, one hundred percent. No, no, I'm I'm glad you did that plug because I absolutely agree. I'm obsessed with his TikTok. So yeah. at <laughs> FSCX. Sorry, at FSCHXLL. Yes. Um. Go give him a follow because it, he's awesome. Yes. Um. <laughs> so so yeah, I'm looking for just adding your own flavor to something, but also keeping the heart because. I don't know. I almost find it a little bit um, more so with film. I find it a little bit narcissistic to like take what someone's already created and just like dump them in a new plot or something. Like, I don't know. It's kind of like I could have done this better. Like there's something like it's karaoke. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or like, I don't know. It's it's. There's something there's something that doesn't sit completely right with me with with doing what you said like like taking someone's kind of core idea and dumping them kind of into a new plot. Or just kn- a new setting that's like just like updating it like yeah. um, like time-wise, right? Like yeah. we've seen that where it's like oh and now it's present day. It's like okay. Like uh, Macbeth in the post-apocalyptic world, right? Right, right. And I don't know. I think you I think you need to I used this last week, this word, anchor it to something um, for people and um, then just add your own point of view. Um, I mean, I think the Witches remake, which we talked about last week, was pretty successful in doing that because we have a different point of view. We have a different spin on things, um, but it's the same it's the same situation. It's just how would how would it go if these people experienced it, and how would they yeah. react? And then you you know you know what I mean? Like totally. Basically, long story short, anchor it to something, but then add your own spin or flavor on it, so it doesn't feel like karaoke, and it also doesn't feel like what is this? This is totally unrecognizable. Why did you slap this like huge name on something? Did you just use it for notoriety? You know that's. Pretty yeah, much I'm with you. I'm, I'm absolutely with you there. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched Maniac? You mean the 1980 or 2012 psychological horror like serial killer movies yeah and in this case it's and it's not or it is and yes we're talking about both of them today because 
I mean, you've probably been here for a minute. Uh, we're talking about remakes. You're like nine so, minutes in. I mean, if you I didn't know. figure it out from the up top. Uh, then I can't help you. <laughs> so It also we, says it on the fucking uh, episode title. So unless you're just clicking around randomly on your phone, I hope you know what this is. I mean, I do that sometimes, but... <laughs> just stab at the screen and see what happens. It's gotten me in trouble. <laughs> um, you can butt dial on an iPhone, it turns out. Um, but you yeah, so... Like these. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we'll be doing kind of the normal format here. Normal um, for this month. Yeah, month. Uh, Topher will take us through who made this thing of both movies, and then I'll take us through the plot for both movies. Uh, kind of today it'll be uh, to keep it, you know, nice and short and sweet. I'll I'll go through the original and kind of just note the differences. Uh, the beats because, are all basically the same. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The framework of of these movies are are pretty similar so and then we'll go deeper in the third section into kind of the differences in our analysis portion so without further ado Topher who made these things well I guess (laughs) I'll start with the original yeah I think that's a good idea I think so too thank you babe dandy (laughs) so the original was uh the story and screenplay are written by our star our villain, but you know he's the story we follow. Yeah, uh, Joe Spinell. Joe Spinell is a, uh, or was I should say, uh, you know, New York Italian actor and writer. And he was he'd had a pretty good career before he did this. He'd been in two Godfather movies, the only two that I actually recognize their existence. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd done uh, Star Crash, uh, so he had done okay. Star Crash, right, which was a complete cash in on. Star Wars, right? Because right. Star Wars is like a, just like a no one thought it was going to succeed, and then all of these movies just like got rushed into production. Yeah, but funny enough, Christopher Plummer's in it, <laughs> <laughs> as is Caroline Moreau, uh-huh. uh, who is Anna D'Antoni, our uh, British photographer living in New York City. Yes, um, it was directed by William Lustig. What do you know about William Lustig? His name. Got it. <laughs> And that he directed this movie. Yes. Did you know this is his first non-pornographic movie? Um. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that now. Because. What? Yeah. So up until this point, he had only directed porn. And was, like, good at it, apparently. At least good at making money off of directing porn. Kind of explains some of the shots, but, like... Sure does. Um, sorry, I'm just, like... The, the movie's replaying in my head now. Like, I'm going through it right now, guys. Sorry, I'm silent. I'm just... <laughs> I didn't know that, and that explains a lot. He's kind of our proto-Tarantino. Got it. So, he's from the Bronx, and he worked at, like a shitty theater in Fort Lee, which is right across the river from us right now. Mm-hmm. Um, very easy to get to from the Bronx in the 60s, 70s. So, yeah, he, he gets out of high school, does a few film classes. This is all sounding very Tarantino, right? Except Tarantino dropped out of high school. But, um, yeah, he just works at a movie theater, and then he, like... People don't know this. Not everybody remembers this or, like, knows this these days, but Times Square was not, like, a little Disneyland until pretty no, fucking recently. No, it wasn't. It was like um it was like a hub for like some serious crimes. Yeah, so and and some not so serious things that shouldn't be crimes, but it was yeah, basically the yeah. hub of sex work and yeah. it's where you would have like 
your sort of dime theaters, right? You're, yeah. Um, they're, they're literally called Nickelodeons. Yeah. Uh, which is a fun fact. That's where the <laughs> TV network got its name. Huh. One of the first, uh, I think the very first film house in the United States or the world was in Pittsburgh and it was called the Nickelodeon. Mm. Fun film history for everybody. But yeah, that's what they were. They, you know, like it was, it wasn't going to be your big budget features. You know, it's not going to be Casablanca. It's not going to be Hitchcock. It's not going to be, uh, yeah. you know, uh, Sergio Leone or whatever. This is for your, you know, B movie sort of theaters, right? Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't call them art house, but they inspired a lot of art house. God, <laughs> More what grind a, house. What a funny, like, just what a funny thing to think about the evolution of Times Square. Yeah. It's wild. Like, from it going from probably, I mean, that's cool. I would have loved to... S- probably seen it when it was more of like sex workers and yeah it got pretty stuff. stabby but that's what i was talking about with the crime <laughs> that's like the crimes it was that the, should be crimes the, yes the the hub for the crimes that should be crimes and then the sex work that should not be crimes yeah yeah don't stab people but yeah. sex work is work and, and has be been around for centuries oldest profession the oldest profession they say stabbing is not the oldest profession <laughs> it's it's up there but it's not quite well it would there. happen i mean i guess unless you hire a hitman yeah so maybe hitmen have been around for a while but yeah i wouldn't say just recreational stabbing I it's been around it job, but yeah. it's not a job yeah that's probably right <laughs> Ever since someone found a sharp rock and wanted a different sharp rock. (laughs) Oh, my God. Another fun fact about William Lustig. Good friend of Sam Raimi's. That doesn't surprise me. It's zero surprising. Um, He was actually a fake shemp in Army of Darkness, Mm -hmm. which makes me very happy. Uh, Yeah, he went on to direct the Maniac Cop movies, which are ridiculous and also currently on Shudder. And the first thing that comes up when you search for Maniac. I didn't even search for it on Shudder. I don't know why. I should have. <laughs> yeah. Shutter. I mean, sponsor us. Yo. We love you. We love you. But yeah, he's done um, a bit of directing, but it's mostly this and Maniac Cop. And he did a, he was a, uh, directed a bit of a documentary about Argento, mm-hmm. um, who we have never covered on this podcast and we should eventually. We will. Yeah. But since then, he's mostly worked as a producer doing a bunch of these sort of exploitation splatter film sort of things where he yeah. got to start. Um, C.A. Rosenberg was the other screenwriter on this. Mm-hmm. This is literally his only credit. I have no other information on who C.A. Rosenberg is. Okay. Uh, or I should not even say his. Their only credit. I have no I, I have no information about them. Love it. <laughs> Looked, we love a... Cannot find it. Maybe I'm just an idiot. We love a ghost. Right. Other actors in this. Abigail Clayton as Rita. Um, but she was credited as Gail Lawrence. This happens a lot in these sort of B-movies. People go under a pseudonym. Yeah. They don't want it on their reel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do it for the cash. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, fair. Sure. And she is naked in this movie, so I also understand sure. that going under a pseudonym. Mm-hmm. Kelly Piper as our nurse who dies. Rita Montone as our sex worker in the very op- in the opening scene. Mm-hmm. Hyla Marrow as she's credited as Disco Girl. Uh, this is our car couple. Damn. And I would love to just be called Disco Girl once right? in my life. Disco Girl. <laughs> and Disco Boy oh. is played by none other than Tom Savini. Hello. We love Tom Savini. Duh. He is, he's got like 14 credits on this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he uh, he's known as the godfather of gore if you don't know who he is. <laughs> but he did. Another name that I really would love to assume. How do I, how do I apply? Right. <laughs> 
This is what I want my tombstone to say. Yeah. Nicole Lee Hood, 1991 to whenever I end up dying. That never. Um, nev- to never. But then Disco Girl, Godfather of Gore. <laughs> that would be sick. That's a sick tombstone. I don't give a shit. You don't have to say that I was a wife, that I was a mother, that I <laughs> had cats. You don't have to say any of that. Just say those two things and I will be... Probably the most photographed tombstone ever. 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 So, my dying wish. You, <laughs> I'm giving, I'm, I'm putting it on yeah. Mike. That's my dying wish. Copy that. <laughs> so yeah, Savini worked on and both. Uh, so I've, I'm just going to sort of list a bunch of his credits. They are between, um, let's see, the makeup department and then sort of special effects departments. Uh, he did both so much. He actually made a cast of his own head. That's why he got cast as Disco Boy. He just had a cast of his own head lying around. Damn. <laughs> Which does get blown off with a double-barreled shotgun. So he's like, they're like, oh, yeah, Savini, hop in. So he worked on Dawn of the Dead, Friday the 13th. He was actually in Friday, the first Friday the 13th nice. as an actor. Then he worked on Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Uh, he worked on Nightmare. He worked on Tales from the Dark Side, Heartstopper, Necronomicon, Book of the Dead. He worked on Ghost Writer. Not the writer, like writing things down. Not yes. like no, Ghost Writer, you. the comic book I got you. character. Yeah. Okay. Fine. <laughs> Thank you for the clarification, though. I thought that was a good idea. <laughs> um, and he also famously worked on Creepshow. Nice. Um, but yeah, recently he's done From Dust Till Dawn, the series. Mm-hmm. He also worked on the original From Dust Till Dawn. Uh, he has been in Nosferatu, the cool little show that's on, I think it's FX. Okay. Yeah. just it, It's a cool little like uh, diverse cast uh, vampire hunter show. Fun. Yeah. We love. Big fan. So yeah, I, I, I just, I love Tom Savini. I've always loved Tom Savini. He is just so fucking cool. <laughs> and then we also had a nice cameo as an actor from William Lustig himself as Al, the uh, the guy at the hotel in you the opening shot. Uh, they did. <laughs> Our sex worker says, Al, give me my usual room. And that's William Lustig looking ridiculous. That Amazing. big old mustache. Amazing. Uh, music was from Jay Chataway. Cinematography from Robert Lindsay, editing from Larry Marin- Larry Marinelli. God, that's that's tough to say. <laughs> Larry Marinelli. Uh, Larry um, Marinelli. And then another one member of our makeup department, one of our absolute favorites, Mr. Rob Botton himself. Great. John Carpenter's friend and frequent collaborator. Collaborator? Collaborator. Collaborator, right? I think so. I'm thinking very hard. I don't know. My brain doesn't work anymore. It's collaborator. It's got to be collaborator. It's got to be. Collaborator doesn't sound Collaborator. I don't know. Maybe douchebags say it like that. I don't know. I don't know. So the original film was released with zero rating. They never submitted it to the MPAA. They're like, no, fuck it. We're we're not going to get it. Yeah, that's why it's not rated where, you know, it probably would, would be rated R. Yeah. Oh no. It was um. It was an NC seventeen. They were. They today, like if it came out, it'd be it'd be rated R. Yeah. It was the. Uh, do you remember that? Like when we were kids, they were like, "Oh yeah, there's movies that are rated X. It's even above NC seventeen. And it was like that's the same thing. It sounds like, but yeah, it was restricted in its viewings. Um, a lot of people were not allowed to see it. I think it was Shocking. also it was banned in Germany for a really long time. Mm-hmm. I think to this day. 
Maybe, maybe. The, uh, the edited cut is allowed, but the unedited is still, I think, to this day, not not allowed to be released in Germany. I mean, that's that's pretty sick, pretty pretty <laughs> hardcore. Because I mean, I made the mistake of sitting down to eat dinner, which I could normally eat dinner while watching horror films because I'm a freak. Um, <laughs> I'm normally fine, but man, about ten minutes into this movie, I was just like this. Was a grave mistake. Yeah, you just texted me. I was nauseous as hell. So, like, I don't know. If for some reason you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, don't eat while you're watching it. Yeah, I would recommend against it. It was not posters enough, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm just stupid. I also was trying to do. I'm always trying to multitask, so I was trying to eat dinner and also get work done. Yes, but um, yeah, don't, don't, don't eat while you're watching either of these. Honestly, they're both extremely gruesome. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so it was never actually prosecuted for obscenity, but it could have been. (laughs) Just no one went after it. Yeah. One of the really cool things about the original is because its budget was 350 grand, Mm -hmm. which is not much. They couldn't get permits from the city. And also the city would not allow them to shoot. They were not going to permit them to shoot. Mm-hmm. So they had to shoot it guerrilla style. What so, does that mean? So, I don't know what that means. Like um, like guerrilla warfare, but with a camera. So you just had to get in, get the shot, get out before anybody caught you. Oh, sure. Okay. So the scene with Tom Savini and uh, Disco Boy and Disco Girl, when mm-hmm. the, the Son of Sam murder that he does, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. They could not shoot that like the city was like nope 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 you are not getting a permit to do that because uh, this is like six years after the summer of sam oh right and they're like absolutely not this makes too New York soon look- bro like <laughs> relax perfect timing so <laughs> too soon they shot that in one hour wow they basically got one take so savini has the cast of his head and he used live ammo for the scene and it's a shotgun in the Bronx. <laughs> They're right by the GWB. So How stressful is that where you're just like, <laughs> we have literally one, like right when this gun goes off, that's it. So because it was done with practical effects, right? It wasn't done in post. There's the cast of Savini. It's shot from the back. Spinell jumps on the hood of the car, fires the shotgun into the uh, the the dummy head explodes it right fires it to where disco girl would be but is not yeah just a different um sorry. like mark or yeah, something. yeah 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 just a mark mm-hmm. and then uh savini grabs the shotgun tosses it in the back of his assistant's it tosses it in the trunk of his assistant's car and his assistant just peels off down the fucking hudson highway that's what i'm saying like it had to it had to have been so stressful just like we have one chance to get this because the second that that shotgun goes off it's like a clock counting down to when we could potentially get like arrested oh very much so yeah so they just they got the shot and they fucking booked it I that just love the is idea. It's a hilarious of piece of trivia. Shoot, shoot, toss the gun into the trunk of a car, slam it, and the buddy takes off. No rehearsal. Like, just you just, have to yeah, get in there and do, do it. If, get... if, if anything, <laughs> it has to go off without a hitch. Like, that. that's some high stakes uh, movie making right there. That's some real fuck it, we'll do it live energy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here for it. Bring it's, it back, I love 2021. It so much. Um, no, it's actually that sounds very dangerous. Don't bring it back. <laughs> yeah, don't don't use life. People ammo. live that's in the Bronx. That, how, Let's not. <laughs> yeah, that's also how uh, 
Bruce Lee's son died. Oh no. That's yeah. So sad. Yeah, he got shot in the fucking chest on the set of the crow. Ooh, sad, sad, sad. Yeah, no, it's it's awful. It's that's happened a few times where actors have died because of use of live ammunition or just because of mistakes that ended up being live ammo and they thought they were um I've heard, squibs and yeah. blanks and all I've that. Heard yeah. A few. yeah. So despite that very very small release um it was only released in new york city and la only Mm -hmm. two cities that could get distribution Mm -hmm. um january of 1981 in new york and march of 1981 in la made 10 million dollars yeah it's incredible yeah so it's a it's a pretty really it's a short movie um it is 88 minutes with credits so and i mean yeah when you when you make something that's I don't know. It's funny. It's like it's like some form of magic. Like when you make something and um, it has such a limited release, for it to get for it to make that much money is like unheard of. Mm -hmm. Like I just I just want to emphasize how rare that is. That's that's Halloween levels of payback. Well, and when you think about it. There, there was no publicity like there is today. Not even close. No, it you was know? all word of mouth. Yeah. So when you really think about it, I mean, that is huge. Mm-hmm. And also kind of scary that so many people wanted to really see this. <laughs> it's great. But... I, yeah. And it was definitely like it was it was a trend at the time, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, I know splatter slasher type films. But, you yeah, know, if you walked up to me and said, hey, do you want to go watch a bunch of women get brutally murdered yes i would be like no yeah i get i you. really don't I'm, I'm with you i am I, I am not advocating that this is a positive film i know you're not you're just giving the facts <laughs> yeah. and i'm just saying that like it's a little bit alarming that it did that well with limited release like people really wanted to go and fucking see it yeah well it's, it's that sort of it's that whole b-movie thing of, no it like, totally yeah. is it totally is because think about like halloween right 25 to 50 grand less in the budget. Mm-hmm. Now, as we covered in that episode, it made 60 to 70 million in returns and still makes more today. Yeah. Uh, but it launched Carpenter. It is the reason he has a career. It didn't launch Spinel. Right. And that's what I find interesting is that like, he, that is he made so much fucking money off this movie. And uh, he did not like, he had a career for a little while after this. He died uh, about nine years later. He's also but, frightening. He's terrifying. He's, he's a really good actor. He is. He's so scary in this movie. Even just how, because I've seen like photos of him um, from around that time, like you know, mm-hmm. um, red carpet stuff, and you know, yeah. just photos. And I'm like, oh, he's like, he's not as bad looking. But when I was watching that sh- the the movie, I was like, w- like sick to my stomach just looking at him. I don't know if it was like, so it was probably lighting, makeup, like all of that. But he was. Mm-mm. Credit to Tom Savini, man, and Rob Botton. Oh, just it was making just, him look horrifying. Yes, it was just so, just so unsettling. Yeah, I was rewatching it again last night, and I was just like, "Wow, I really forgot how just intensely ugly they make him." Yes, it was sca- like pit of my stomach, scary. Yeah. Whew. Okay, so now. <laughs> so that's our yeah, that's our 1980. Yep. And now we're going to 2012. Yep. Great. 32 I know years, years. 22 thir- 32 years later 32 years later that okay. is the amount of time yeah because it was nine years ago and I'm 31 so yes that is how math works <laughs> math so yeah the remake in 2012 directed by Frank Calfoon or Franck Calfoon uh, he's a French director 
he's definitely done a bunch of he's definitely like lives in the horror world um, yeah especially the sort of like kind of exploitation goofy horror world mm-hmm. um so he did two different piranha movies piranha and uh p2 he did this uh low riders amityville the awakening he he's done he yeah he's he's just kind of like a um he likes his weird creepy shit mm-hmm. and yeah the writers were, I mean, uh, Joe Spinell is obviously credited with the original screenplay, but, uh, so Alexandre Aya, Aya, I can't actually remember how to say A-J-A in French, um, but I think it's Aja. Okay. Um, and Gregory Levesseux. I get to do a lot of French on this one. It's fun. You're good <laughs> They're the it. writers of the screenplay. Better you than me. <laughs> um, but yeah, Alexandre uh, did the remake of The Hills of Eyes. He did High Tension. He did Piranha 3D. He's, you know, he's... Remake pro. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and Mirrors, which is one of the only movies I've ever really walked out on. Hmm. Uh, not because it was bad, although I think it was. I just had a, a asthma attack in the middle of it. Oh, no. <laughs> Something freaked me out, and I had to walk back to my car and grab my inhaler because I didn't have it on me. Oh, well, that's not really walking out of a movie. That's physically walking out of a yeah. movie, but it's not like, fuck this, I'm going to leave. <laughs> no, I was with two friends, and they're like, where the fuck did you go? I was like, oh, I went home. <laughs> Just couldn't do it. It stars Elijah Wood as our protag villain creepy dude. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know Elijah Wood. I mean, how do you not? If you're if you're older than five years old, I'm pretty sure you know who Elijah Wood is. But yes, yeah. Pleasantville, Lord of the Rings. Yep. Sin City, where he also plays a really creepy serial killer. Eternal Sunshine. Eternal Sunshine. Oh, he is. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. also creepy in that. He's kind of like, it's almost like he was leading up to this role. You know what yeah, I mean? He like kinda, he was yeah, like does hinting. Eternal Sunshine, then does Sin City because he's freaky out. He's terrifying in Sin City. And then he does this. Yeah. 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 Because um, Calhoun, the director, was like, oh, I had this angel faced boy. What do I do with him? It's like he'd done two movies prior to this where he's. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. But Cannibal. also also um, pairing him. Or comparing, not pairing, comparing, comparing him to uh, Joe Spinell, like looks wise. Totally. It already sends the message of what the second movie is kind of trying to accomplish. Definitely. Um, and they definitely play He's more. He's more with boyish. His, and definitely more of a uh, Norman Bates type with that whole like repressed virginal sort of thing going on. Totally. It's a, that seems to me like the most obvious reason he was cast, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of people. He's a great actor. I think a lot of people, when they heard that he was going to be filling Joe Smanell's shoes, they were a little bit like, what? Yeah. Or like they were just a little bit, you know, um, again, people people become a little too attached to the original form. But I think because they're so different in even just plain looks, I think people were like, what? Like That doesn't, that sucks. That doesn't make sense. But then they saw it and they were like, oh, I get it. Yeah, he's he kills this role. Yeah. And a lot of people in it. Uh, correct. Here's some of the people he kills. Great. <laughs> uh, America Olivo plays his mother mm-hmm. in the flashbacks and s- some of the trippier scenes. Um, she's an American actor. Uh, again, a lot of B-movies. She was in one of the Friday the 13th remakes. Mm-hmm. Um, a few Mission Impossible movies. Chicago PD. Yeah. Uh, we had Genevieve Alexandra as Jessica. Mm-hmm. Um, also was in Piranha 3D, Wrong Turn at Tahoe, something about her. Leanne Balaban was uh, Judy. Okay. Uh, and this time as Rita, we have Jan Broberg. Mm-hmm. Those are all the people he kills. 
Now here's one he doesn't. Nora Arnedezer. Anna. Anna, sorry. Yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, what did I say? the character's name. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You said you said the actress's name, and I said yeah, Anna. Okay, sorry, I was so confused. <laughs> I was like, I thought I flipped everybody's names around. No. I'm just an idiot. No, you're good. Uh, but yeah, she's a French actor. Um, mostly has worked over there, but was like everybody else in the world in Mozart in the Jungle. Oh my God! Yeah, everyone and their <laughs> brother was in that show, or uh, is in that show. Is it still going? No, it ended in uh, 2018, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the it's like a weird version of like Law and Order. Like everyone has been in it. <laughs> yeah, you've been either in one or the other or both. Yeah. Uh, I love her in this movie. I think she's so good. She's one of the. She's a real powerhouse performance in this. Oh, agreed. Like Caroline Caroline Monroe, fantastic in the original. It's not her best role. Yeah, the, well, this one, she had a little bit, just a little more meat. Little, and more screen time, yeah. Yeah, a little more to work with. But, you know, she she is great. She's yeah, great. no, no, I thought she was really good in this. Yeah. I, I really appreciated her Praises acting. Praises do. She's great. Um, we had French musician Rob. Uh, Robin Couder is his full name, but he goes by Rob, all capitals. Okay. a stylization. Fantastic electronic musician from uh, from France. Who does he play? Oh, that's he's the musician, or the, he did the music for the movie. Oh, he did the music for the movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was like, I was racking my brain, like who, who's a musician in the movie? <laughs> um, cinematography was from from Maxime Alexandre. Hot. Right. That, that's such a great name, Maxime <laughs> Alexandre. Uh, he's a yeah, he's a Belgian cinematographer. That makes cinematographer. me think of a perfume commercial. <laughs> Dior. Dior by Maxime Alexandre. <laughs> Avec. <laughs> right. <laughs> So it's a he, lot of whispering that happens in perfume commercials. Only whispering. Yeah. A lot of secrets in the perfume Chateau industry. Dior. Exactly. Ugh. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm a big fan of his uh, yeah. of his work. I've seen uh, most of the things he's done, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so he obviously did this as a cinematographer. Uh, he did Shazam recently. Oh. DC brought him in. All right. I did not see that. Um, but he did Haunting a Bly Manor, The Hills Have Eyes remake, The Crazies, which is an interesting horror film from about 10 years ago. Perfect. Uh, yeah, so he's done actually um, a bunch of work with James Wan and his production company as well. Because he did, yeah, yeah, he did The Nun, Annabelle Creation. He's just, he's all over the horror world. Very nice. Yeah. You know, it's fun. Yeah. Film editing from Baxter and then Frank Calfoon also did. Uh, the editing so director editor mm, not my favorite combination usually but it works here and yeah so just uh, you know art design was by Duner. there's a lot of these like sort of indie french folks who are in this um definitely yeah it's a french film that's just sort of set in america sure that's sort of how i interpret it and then the costume design from uh, marie chisholm great yeah you know fun things mm-hmm. cool stuff this was fairly well received not everybody liked it. I don't understand that, but you know, fuck me, right? No real information on its budget. It did make two point six million, mm-hmm. um, and stays really close to the same runtime. It's at eighty nine minutes. Yeah. Uh, the credits are longer these days, so it's about the same runtime. I think you're always going to have mixed reviews when it comes to remakes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's frustrating for me because most of the people who think these movies are bad mm-hmm. which they're not just sort of like objectively from a film perspective they're not bad they're movies. not poorly made I no will they're say very that. well made they're very fact. well made um but everybody's like oh it's just a bunch of gore i'm like did you pay attention to nothing 
there's a really interesting story happening here. It's a fucked up story and not one that I advocate, but it's really good. Yeah, no, well I don't written. see this. I don't. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind when I think about these movies is not like gore porn because I'm I'm pretty sensitive to that. Like I don't when I'm watching a horror film and it just becomes that I end up turning it off. Like that's just not my subgenre of choice ever. Yeah, you don't like most of the like Italian zombie films. Yeah, well, it's, it's it just it depends. I feel like um, gore gore can either be like campy or it has to be there to kind of it, you have to justify it being there to a certain degree. Yeah, and I think this is very well justified. Agreed. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I'm just yeah. Yeah. No, that's 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 where it, that's where it falls because it's not camp. Because um, campy gore is like you know it's like the silly. Um, you could even put Evil Dead in there. It's the Tucker versus Tucker Dead Dale. Versus evil, like mm-hmm. yeah, dead alive, like all of those things. There, that's campy gore, and that serves a purpose because it's like dark comedy, or it has to advance the plot in yeah. some way, or just be justified mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, and, and since he's yeah someone who scalps his victims, he's a serial killer yeah. who scalps his victims. I don't know how you do. Make you're that literally plotless. yeah, that's like the one liner plot synopsis. You're literally signing up for gore. Yeah, it literally I, tells you what you're looking at. Yeah, so I'm just always frustrated by critics who are like, eh, but like uh, there was this review from. So uh, the the I guess the consensus review from Rotten Tomatoes says shocking and bloody maniac is smarter than your average psychological slasher, but it's undermined by its excessive gore about mm. the remake. And I'm like, that's no, the the gore enhances it. This I liked be, the gore in this one. It wouldn't be good as yeah. good without it. People would see it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. <laughs> right? People would have been complaining that it was a safe remake if you didn't do more gore than the original. Yeah, or at least a different type of, same amount, you know? Because the gore in here is different. Like, there's there's bits of this that make me go, oh, God. Same. The Achilles uh, tendon scene. Fuck oh, that. Oh, hell no. That's hell my no. least favorite type of gore. Hell no. <laughs> it hurts. That and fingernails. Can't do it. I can't do knees. Knee things. Interesting. Well, it's because I have problems with my knees. I got lots of problems with mine. I shouldn't realize that that was a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um. But yeah, it, you it's damned if you do, damned if you don't here because it's like it's either too much gore or if you didn't do enough or cool enough stuff, then they're going to say it's a safe remake. There's a lot of pressure when it comes to remakes. And I certainly I haven't said that yet. And I certainly am acknowledging that now. Absolutely. Yeah. You, no, there's no question. That it's, it's kind of people are going to hate hate it or some people are going to hate it no matter what. It's just which population you're trying to, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. Well, they got the toe for Nicole vote. Right. It's funny. I watched these out of order too. I saw the remake first. Oh. Uh, and then I went. Back I saw and them in order. The, you did. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I uh, I I watched the remake at a friend's place um, when I was in grad school. Uh, I just went over and like hung out at their basement apartment uh, with her and her boyfriend and just watched this. And I was like, that's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Like, I it was it was my favorite horror movie for a second. And then right. I was like, okay, I've got to see the original then. Mm-hmm. And so I go back and find it. I'm like. Oh, okay. This is also really cool. This is different. This hates women even more than this. The second one does, but which it's is cool. exactly what we've been talking about. Is that um, the good thing about remakes is that it often makes a different generation. Because obviously, we weren't in the generation where it was like popular to go to the movie theater to see this. No, you know. Yeah. So it, it makes you kind of no matter what generation you're in, it makes you kind of say, "I want to go back to the original." I didn't. Or yeah. like Some people don't even know there's an, an original at first until, you know, they their friend tells them like, "Oh yeah, you should also go and watch that." And it's word of mouth, and it's yeah. So that's where remakes are really good, and that and we've made that point that for even you know, 
like young, young generations, again, for those like musical remakes, mm-hmm. if it gets them to kind of view the original and stuff or, or even just not, it's, it's, it's all about accessibility. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially because you and I grew up in the sort of censorship heavy era of the 90s. Yeah. I mean, think about how little blood there is in most of those horror films, right? We've covered oh, totally. a few 90s movies. Totally. Barely any. And I know what you did last summer, even though that's killer, killer galore. Yeah. Scream has a lot of blood. But um, um, Mimic that we covered, Bloodless. Yeah. You know, like... It became the- more like... The 90s became more like psychological th- thriller type that was mm-hmm. that you could then throw into the horror category. But a lot of people at the time didn't consider it horror because it didn't have the gore from like the 80s and... The 60s, 70s, and 80s. Right, you yeah. Know? You either had your B-movies, mm-hmm. your, your Leprechauns, your Candyman. For sure. Or Candy's Man. Is it like Attorneys General? I don't know. Hmm. 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 <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's that's pretty much all I have to say up top on these. I will say the one difference. Um, so where the original was shot, very guerrilla style, very like set up run. They right? actually had right or not rights. Um, um, what am I? Permits. They actually had permits for yeah. the second one. Yeah, they actually did have permits. Uh, but what's really great, and I'll get into this a little bit in our analysis, is that they shot it um, all POV, almost entirely. Yes, there's which three is, shots that are not, which is um, a pretty a pretty cool tool to use because mm-hmm. it disorients you, and they want you to be at the POV. They don't want you to miss a single. Um, horrifying thing. The only time that it's not is kind of when you can assume that it's a little bit of an out-of-body experience for our main character. Yeah, I'm thinking of the security camera footage in the previously mentioned Achilles cut. Oh, Um, yeah. That was one thing. It used to bother me. Now I like it. Now that you're describing it as out-of-body, I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. And I love that. I think it could be. I don't know. I don't know for sure. (laughs) It makes me so happy to talk to you about movies. I just love it. (laughs) Well, good thing we have a podcast where we do just that. (laughs) Uh, yeah, so I guess go ahead and take us away on plot. Okay, so plot. We've got Frank Zito, that mm-hmm. is played by Joe Spinell, as we talked about. Um, we come to understand that he was abused as a child by his mother, who is a sex worker. Um, and as a result of this, he pretty much becomes a serial... Not pretty much, he becomes a serial much, killer. Yeah. <laughs> he very much so becomes a serial killer who murders young women and then very brutally scalps them. It's a pretty um, clean cut, I don't know. All scalping is brutal, you're right. <laughs> just staring at me. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like stunned by that, I don't know what to say to that. Um, and He's not doing it like with a jagged cut, you know? I, re- I, I respect good knife work, that's it. I'm terrified now. Um, And so after he scalps them, he attaches their hair to mannequins. Cute. um, And also kind of and definitely interacts with these mannequins. Like they don't just go into a, they go into a room, but he also interacts with them. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. As if they were like still real. Yep. It's crazy. It's it's wild. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. Um, So... What happens now is he wakes up from a nightmare about killing a couple on a beach. Um, He gets dressed. He has tons of, like, scars on his body. All over him, yeah. He's really roughed up. Yeah, and he goes to Times Square. And and like we were saying, this is when, you know, sex work was... This was before Times Square was Disneyland, and it was more of, like, 
a lot of sex work was happening. Um, so he is invited inside a hotel by um, Rita Matone. Mm-hmm. Our unnamed Our, sex worker, yeah. Yes. She kisses him, um, and then he very abruptly strangles her and then, you know, scalps her. It's the whole routine. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets home, puts it on a mannequin, and and uses her clothes as well, and then nails her scalp to its head. And it's like, it's always so, it's like, oh, this will sting for a bit, like after it's like nailing, yeah, like the, 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 the nail the, gun. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a little like like little hammer and like like tack nails and shit like that yeah Yeah, it's like Um, (laughs) god it's so gross and why do i like it so much and how he um rationalizes this to himself is he says that beauty is a crime punishable by death yeah uh yeah yeah no that's so uh sometime later he gets ready he's going somewhere but he has like a shit ton of weapons with him um including the shotgun which we were talking about yeah the shotgun in the violin case nice and classic yes he drives around brooklyn and queens we assume um and he finds a couple leaving like a little disco disco boy and disco girl Mm -hmm. um and Tom Savini, the boyfriend, disco boy, yeah, uh, starts st- tries to start the vehicle up um, because his date sees Frank like spying on them and, and kind of gets like freaked out by it. But then Frank kills the couple with the shotgun. Such and, a great shot. Yeah, and then like adds the woman to this mannequin collection. Yeah. I was wrong, by the way. It was not the GW Bridge. It's uh, the Farazano Bridge. Right. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, my bad, guys. I know New York. Yeah. <laughs> I just it's forgot fine. it was the Verrazano. It's okay. Because uh, I don't really give a shit about Staten Island. I think you're forgiven. So he sees he sees um, his crime being reported on TV. Yeah, the news comes up and it's like, oh, terrifying thing. Yeah. And so he is kind of like talking to the mannequins and then ends up just crying himself to sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we're in the next day in Central Park. He follows a photographer named Anna. Um, she takes a photo of him and a little girl riding a bicycle, like, in the distance. Yeah, she does a lot of, like, um, sort of, uh, what's the word for, like, when you just take photography of, like, just life? Like, mundane things? Yeah, it's, I, I don't remember the, the full term. term for it, there is a yeah. term for it. I don't remember exactly what it is, but. I wasn't an art history major. I was not. I took an art history course, but I don't remember anything. <laughs> Oops. Um, but. Okay, so that's where we kind of are introduced to Anna. Yeah. We are, but we aren't. Like, we don't really know it's anything about her. It's our first time seeing her, her yeah. Yeah. Um, but then that night, Frank sees a nurse who's leaving Roosevelt Hospital. Um, he stalks her in the subway and then murders her. Uh, <laughs> he, like, murders her uh, before adding her to his mannequin collection. So now it's a couple days later. Um, Frank goes to Anna's apartment and she lets him in after she recognizes him from the photo. And she's like, oh, my God, hey. And he asks her out to dinner. He's really charming here. It's one of those weird moments where he actually is kind of charming. It's creepy. Yeah. How he can just turn it on and off. Exactly. Like serial killer. Yeah. 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 People who take shots of gin. Yeah. I love gin, just not shots. Um, (laughs) Sorry, Bookert. Yeah. Sorry. So he shows her a photo of his mother, and we learn that his mother died in a car crash uh, several years ago. Um, and a few days later, Frank Anna invites Frank to her studio while she's um, doing like a photography session. 
and he's introduced to one of her models, Rita. He sees the two talking and holding hands. He steals Rita's necklace and leaves. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's the same night. He goes to Rita's apartment to give her a necklace before he then attacks her and ties her to the bed. He starts, like, talking and is addressing her as his mother. Yeah, he keeps calling her mommy. Yikes. Um, Mommy. And and then stabs her with a switchblade and scalps her for said collection. So then we've got, we're, we're on a new night. He takes Anna on a date and they go to a cemetery and visit his mother's grave. You know, like casual like, things you do on a date. Yeah. You know, like yeah. very, you know. Um, oh, this is such a weird scene. Yeah. So he's like, he's got flowers for the headstone. Um, Frank is, is pretty much mourning over one of his first victims is it rita yeah he starts saying rita new rita new rita new oh that's right and then he ends up attacking anna and chases her around the cemetery she ends up hitting him in the arm with a shovel and is able to kind of run run away you say this is an exit pursued by bear (laughs) what do you not know that reference from winter's tale no yeah the shakespeare play right there's a stage direction that says exit pursued by bear that, I'm not going to lie, is a Shakespeare I'm not familiar with. That's okay. There's a Sorry. lot of them. You yeah. don't have to know them all. It's, yeah. I, yeah. High school lied to you. You don't have to know all of Shakespeare. Yeah. Uh, no, Sorry. I just, I just with his body and everything, it was, I liked the joke. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, I'm, not, I'm not quitting yet. It's not my time to quit in the episode. So Frank hallucinates his decomposing mother attacking him from the grave. This is very dead alive. It is. It yeah. is. It's like, what? These, this puppet work. Um, so good. He, you know, scurries back to his apartment where <laughs> um, his mannequins start to, like, truly come alive. Like, he's been talking to them this whole time, but now yeah. he's like, you know, they're they're alive. But they, we get the murdered and scalped actors back in. Yes. Um, so they pretty much, you know, they're, they all have the weapons that he killed them with, mm-hmm. and they are mutilating him before ultimately tearing off his head. Yep. So um, then we've got the next morning, two police officers break into the apartment and they see Frank lying on his bed, assumed dead, and that he's committed suicide. Um, But as the officers leave the apartment, Frank's eyes suddenly open. Yeah. And that is cut to credits, end of movie. Mm -hmm. The remake is a little bit different in the way that... um, So Anna has a boyfriend, but there is still some flirtation and they do kind of have this like could they potentially be lovers like sort of tension yeah between the two of them and then um it pretty much it pretty much ends the same like with the mannequins um like attacking yeah the only difference is we don't get the eyes open at the exactly end. yeah that's the only thing that we don't get so we kind of get more of like a closure of the situation this one kind of left it open-ended for like maniac two or whatever which spinel did actually end up writing and shooting yeah um as a short it just was it released? No. I didn't no, think it so. No, it was a, a proof of concept short. Okay. But yeah, so so we get more you know closure. We assume that um, Elijah Wood has died by the end of the yeah, remake. Yeah, it is, so it's assumed, are, yeah. Those are kind of the, the, they're like, you know, minute differences. And, you know, it's been updated to reflect the times of like, 2012 and i think it's set in la instead of new york it is set in la that's right um so that's when oh, he does kill anna in this one i fucked that up at the top he does kill her oh yeah i guess we'll just have to do some fancy editing no 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 i'll just admit it right now oh okay yeah okay, i wasn't sure no i'm what... just owning my mistakes no oh, okay yeah yeah i completely forgot that he actually does kill anna in this one yes yeah um they go through like a pretty 
brutal um after she has like a big uh art show Mm -hmm. they go through kind of a he kills her agent yeah and then so she's grieving and he comes over and her neighbor is there and she's probably broken up with her boyfriend because he fled to New York and she was like, we got into a huge fight. It's after Rita's died. Yeah, this is like towards the end and they get into a huge thing um, where she locks herself in the bathroom. He kills her neighbor who was coming to help her. Oh God, Um, yeah, the meat cleaver. Oof, yeah. Yeah, that one's pretty brutal. And then um, she goes in... To the bathroom. She's hiding in the bathroom and then she's ultimately killed. She she puts up a mean fight though. She like stabs him. Yeah, the we hand. have a nice fight here. It's kind of a good yeah. like extended fight sequence. It's a good back and forth to develop the tension and then ultimately she is killed. The Rita the the killings are a little more brutal in this one. Oh, for sure. Like for sure. Um, that they Rita went gets further. scalped alive. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, that one's pretty like bleh. Um <laughs> yeah, they're all rough. <laughs> yeah. So like what we said, they're both really well made. Very, both very well made. Very, yeah. I cannot say that either of these movies are technically bad. Mm-hmm. Well written, well executed, good yeah. acting throughout. Yeah. Both, yeah. Both versions. Great are, shots. Are, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about both. This is this is definitely, in my opinion, a um, an example of a successful remake. Oh, 100%. I think that it, it obviously it followed some sort of plot line, but it updated it and it put its own kind of spin on it where um, by casting Elijah Wood and then kind of giving a more sympathetic take on this main character who is clearly psychologically damaged, damaged and, <laughs> and, and acts in, in, in these ways because of that, we see a little bit more of, of his background and all of this. So they're trying to get you to sympathize a little bit more with our main character. So it's a different point of view instead of just like, I think they tried to make um, Joe Spinell just look as grotesque and just yeah. like, you know, just like as disgusting as possible where like Elijah Wood looks like eternally will always look like a child. You know, right. like yeah. he's just got a baby face and he's angelic. got big yeah. eyes. Everybody calls him angelic in the reviews. Which it's crazy to me because every single time you see his hands, they've got like some, they've got like dried blood underneath the yeah. finger t- fingernails and, and like, you know, dirt in the cuticles yeah. and blood everywhere. Oh, when he scrubs his oh, hand with God, the Brillo pads yeah, or yeah. the steel oof, wool, oof, it's like, oof, oof. ooh, and he does it with the I'm knife too. So and he's like screaming and oh my God, it's, it's brutal. It, it's just such brilliant acting. Mm-hmm. And so I, I can, I can go into that real quick just for a cool behind the scenes thing with how this was made. Yeah. Um, so, Basically, um, Elijah Wood mm-hmm. was, he's talked about it a lot. He's like, this is one of the, my favorite movies I've ever worked on oh. because I had to be a choreographer and an actor. I had to do right. everything through handwork and uh, vocal work. So like most of the lines are ADR. Right, right, right. of how they had to do it. So the way they did it was he's basically following around Maxime Alexandre and hugging him from behind so he can film his hands. <laughs> Oh or he God. would like steer him by his shoulders That's so to funny. make him move how Elijah thought Frank would move, right? Yeah. So there's that. And then also they had to have one of the other um, people on the crew act as his left hand or his right hand sometimes. Mm-hmm. So they had to coordinate their hands. He, he, that's where he called it like choreography. Got where it. it he, like the, because of the way the shot was going to work, they couldn't have 
like it just physically it was physically impossible for Elijah to have both of his own hands in the scene. Yeah. So it's him and somebody else, and they're having to coordinate different arms on different bodies. Yeah. To look natural. Mm-hmm. I think that's so fucking cool. Yeah. Like just as a technical achievement, I'm like, God damn, I don't know that I would have gone to that much work. I'm pretty obsessive about my work and I would not go. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, both of these are so superiorly well done that it's it's kind of it's kind of insane. But I I just I you know, I, I struggle more so with the first one on the treatment of women. Yeah. Um, Neither is great on sex workers. No, absolutely not. Very disrespectful. Um, and so I struggle with this thought of like, I kind of wish that neither had ever been made. Mainly the original because it is purely an exploitation film. The second one, the second one kind of is like marginally better with its treatment of women. It, it kind of like it uses women to try to, it uses women and it uses women's bodies to tell this hideous story of this person. And then with the second one trying to get you to kind of sympathize with the main character. I, do, I don't love the idea of any of it even though it is like so well executed. Right. I just don't, we have a lot of these stories. We have a lot of them. Yes. Um, and I just, I don't, and, and I also, I understand the argument of saying, well, it's commenting on all of this. The second one is, I don't the, think the first one's much of a commentary. I think it's just yeah. a cash grab on Son of Sam murders. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with you. And that's why I'm calling it kind of like an exploitation. Yeah, film. absolutely. Yeah. No, it's um, exactly what it is. And I just, I don't know. I, 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 I struggle a lot going back and forth between that because sure, maybe the second one is, you know, a commentary on what not to do. Sure. Uh, or, you know, like how, how shitty is this? sort of thing or you, you know so yeah i think where the second one's artistic merit lies because I, I, I don't like the word sympathize because i don't think that's what it is i think it is so, so here's where the commentary comes in and this is this is from uh the director himself uh from calphone so this was uh from an interview in front row reviews mm-hmm. in 2013 um, so he said, I'm just going to do sort of the long quote here, but I want the last line is what I really want to focus on. Mm-hmm. So he said, POV has been in movies since Peeping Tom, but no horror yes. film had ever been entirely shot that way. I wanted the audience to feel trapped in his body. The cinema plays a big part in that concept since you are stuck in your seat, forced to experience the events with little control over the outcome. Much like Frank is stuck in his body. This body doesn't work, right? Yeah. Um, you are therefore at the same time complicit and repulsed. Therein lies the horror. That's very interesting to me, the complicature of it. Because when you expand that, and he has talked about that elsewhere, that I don't have the, the quotes pulled up here, but he has expanded on that of everybody who lives in you know concert with these people who perform these horrible acts shares a measure of complicature. Right. He wanted to comment on the nature of complicity in the, the treatment of marginalized people in our societies right right that's where i think it has artistic merit and that's why i like that it's shot this way that it's not sympathetic it's to make the audience go oh fuck right this is my fault too right does that make sense yeah no i i like that i like that a lot and i think that 
um, I think that the remake does an amazing job of putting you in that place because there were so many times where, where when I was watching it, where I felt like I was inside my own nightmare. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how you know it's a good horror film. It's inc- or at least yeah, that type. Yeah, yeah. Um, that type that is supposed to shake you to your core because... Because yeah, we've we've all had those those nightmares where something we've all had those like not so th- those more realistic nightmares where um, I don't know it could be as simple as I'm walking down the street and some man starts following me mm-hmm. and then the nightmare somehow just escalates and it becomes this just horrific situation like I think a lot of people have had similar nightmares to that so this movie I literally felt like it was. We talk a lot about nightmare logic. Yep. And I felt like I was putting myself into nightmare logic. So the fact that this psychological horror film got into my psyche in that way means that it is successful. Yeah. And I, I like that he came out and said that because because I think that's a more powerful way of going about it. And I, I kind of feel like it was, by my definition of a remake, mm-hmm. I feel like, because the question you could ask is, why did it have to be um, women? But then it's putting it, you you have to do those acts to marginalize people for it to land in the way that he's talking about. Yeah. And yeah. also the, the original sets you up for that. And if I'm coming on here and saying that you can't go in and like change all this shit with like remakes and stuff, then, you know, they kind of were pigeonheld to focus on the brutal murders of women yeah yeah and it is it is definitely brutal um and i i do get sick watching it oh my god yeah a lot of ways Mm -hmm. um not just because of like oh god but like no it is the the societal sort of situations with it all are really fucked up and and it's why i have such a hard time with horror being like my favorite genre right Mm -hmm. um it's in order to comment on the treatment of marginalized communities, which is a lot of what we're talking about these days, you have to do some fucked up shit. No, that's and definitely maybe, true. And maybe it's not a hundred percent true or necessarily true. Like it doesn't always have to be the case, but it's what we've been doing and we're working on it. It looks like, but I don't know what that means. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, it's hard. Cause I, I, neither of these movies have a fantastic view of women. Even even in the remake, which I do want to cape, which I have caped for. Mm-hmm. The first one, obviously, yeah, no, garbage view on women. But the second one, I think, is trying to comment on it, but the, that's always going to have some failures. Yes, it's it's hard to completely undo what's already been done. You know, like yeah. it, it takes a lot to do that. And I think with us... Can't filter um, out all the poison from the well, right? Yeah, and I'm still I'm still gonna harp on what uh, that quote was that you just read, mm-hmm. where a lot of what we're talking about these days are like small, seemingly small, but they're actually huge because they could save a life, sort of thing. Yeah. Um. A lot of a, a lot of what we're talking about um these days with Asian folks, with Black folks, with trans folks, you mm-hmm. know, like, you know, just anybody. Um, if you see that they're in an uncomfortable situation or something that clearly could turn dangerous yeah. for them, you walk up and you ask, you you act like you know them. Mm-hmm. You act like you've, you know, haven't seen them in forever. And you kind of just make that eye contact and you yeah. take them away from the situation. You become the buffer. Yeah. Um, and I think that maybe... 
judging by that quote, maybe what he's trying to say is that the horror of it is you don't necessarily have to be the serial killer in this situation Mm -hmm. to be complicit. Like you, by, by you maybe not um, offering to walk someone home or offering to do, or even when you do that, I think that's shown by the agent in the remake. She said, let me, let me walk you home or let me uh, call you a cab. Please call a cab. And she insisted on walking. Yeah. And then unfortunately had that fate. Maybe it's also saying that sometimes you can try and it's just, it's an unfortunate reality. People I'm not are sure. are still autonomous beings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, yeah. Um, I'm not sure, but it's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to rationalize it in my head as, as, as it being that. Yeah. Um, it's always going to be the case with any remake that you're going to import a lot. Yeah. Uh, especially as one that is uh, as faithful as this one is mm-hmm. um, with the, I think, right kinds of updates. It's not 100% there, you know? Um, yeah. But I do like it. You know, I like that it exists and that I can say this is the one I like, you know? Yeah. Um, I like both of them. I think they're both worth watching. Yeah. Um, even the original, which is, it, it's fun. It's weird. It's, I love exploitation movies, you know? Like, I, I'm a huge fan of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, for better or worse, I am. Right. I like them for shock value sometimes. Like yeah. You can see, like, what were they trying to say with this sort of thing? Yeah. Like, are they commenting on anything? Are they just making something for fun? And I'm not opposed to either of those things, right? Yeah. It, not every piece of art has to be commentary. Right, um, right, right. Or the commentary is, hey, we're having fun. For sure. Isn't that dope? Yeah. <laughs> I made some dumb shit with my friends. You want to come see it? Yeah. Right? Um, I mean, that we wouldn't have Jackass without that. Yeah. And I love Jackass. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's one of those things. It, I, I also don't like the treatment of mental illness at all. It's awful. Yeah, that's the other thing <laughs> in this movie is that it it definitely kind of it it definitely demonizes. I'm trying to stop saying definitely kind of. That doesn't make any fucking sense. Um, it definitely <laughs> demonizes mental health issues. Yeah. Yeah, and suggests that abuse creates schizophrenia. Like we see, we this yeah. is a, this is an old as the fucking hills horror trope, and we've talked about it to death. I just want to note it so yeah. that we say it. I don't. We don't have to dive back into it. Listen to our old episodes, or you know, just absolutely. think for two seconds about any horror film you've seen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's 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 really frustrating for me. Um, but the, you know, I do love the the way they delved into Frank's character in this. Um, even if I don't love all the points they used, you know, I don't yeah. like that he's schizophrenic. I don't like that it's abuse that makes him this way. Yeah. Uh, but I do like the background. I like that they delve into his character. Yeah. Um, they yeah. make him, you know, a mannequin restorer that, that, you know, just explains why he has the mannequins, right? Yeah, it's, they kind of nice... explain all those little p- plot holes that the original kind of left us with. Yeah, and you know me, I don't mind certain plot holes like that. I'm like, nope, it's just the case. I can suspend my disbelief. I'm already watching someone commit right, multiple but I murders don't, and not get caught. So that's I don't already... <laughs> mind. I don't mind that they decided to fill that in. And something that I do like too is they did make Anna more of a person. Way more um, of a person. Yeah. In the original, I honestly, she's she's almost forgettable. She almost fades in the background with the other women that he kills not fully because she we see her multiple times instead of him just meeting them and then killing them yeah but in this one in this one you really really you know more about her you can see that she um is trying to she sees that he's in his shell and she's trying to pull him out of it Mm -hmm. and i could fix him 
It could be, yeah, it could be <laughs> always a dangerous pitfall in this one more so than usual. But um, yeah, I mean, you, you just, you kind of see that she is endeared. Is yeah, that makes no, sense? no, yeah, yeah. She finds Towards him endearing. Him, yeah. yeah, she finds him, she finds him endearing. And I think that she kind of wants to take care of him in a way. Totally. Um, this is at the height of all that adorable nonsense too. Oh God, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I definitely appreciate that. Um, I kind of, I almost wish maybe she stayed alive at the end, but I'm not, I don't know. Yeah, it's this sort of mutually assured destruction situation. Yeah. Or I don't know if that's the right way to use that term, but whatever, fuck it. Can't stop me. And I also love that in this movie, there's there's very prevalent um, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Like you see oh, it. it's everywhere. You see it on the marquee and then they end up going and seeing the movie and discussing mm-hmm. it afterwards. And it's... Love I, the shots are inspired by it. All I, the shadow I, work yeah. is so good. I definitely appreciate that. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't do this podcast without saying that I appreciated that. Yeah, no, it's a good pull. And I, yeah, I just was thinking about that with the cinematography that they use shadows so well, which is a thing that Caligari was, um, that movie is cited as like creating. Yes. Yes. Um, so I kind of want to tie this back around because we, we started off the episode recapping our, um, our remake theory. theory. Yeah. Um, how is it, is yours still the same or or do you feel like this changed it in any way? This movie is, um, this movie is actually one of the ones I think about a lot when I think about remakes. Um, it's this one and the 96 Baz Luhrmann, Romeo and Juliet. Oh yes. Two movies that I think of hard when I think about remakes. Oh my God. Yeah. And how to do them successfully because, you know, there's a, there's a time in my life, hopefully I'm in my career that I get to do a remake. I Mm -hmm. would like, there are certain movies that I would like to retouch Mm -hmm. um, or there might be one that I decide to. And when I look at sources of how to do that, it's this and, and uh, Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Um, The 96 one specifically. Yeah. So yeah, I think while we were talking about this, I was thinking about that a lot, you know, trying to go get, I try to update my my stuff as I go through. Even though we do talk about these episodes beforehand, I do we find new things while we're discussing it, right? That's what's mm-hmm. great about discussion um, and collaboration like this, right? So, yeah, it's adding a, a lot of it comes to the aesthetic for yeah. me. I think that's um, something I would include as a viable remake, as if it is aesthetically different in a way that tells the story differently. Yeah, um, casting. Harold Perrineau as Mercutio and having him be this sort of um, um, flamboyant and and gender fluid character who has a certain type of different love for Romeo, for right? Sure. And that for Romeo sure. has for him, like it is not that is a queer relationship, right? In one it's form or another, different depths of human interaction, mm-hmm. but following the same storyline, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you you don't get that in the I guess Boss Lerman did, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but I that's not a read that I had on the play when I read it or performed it, you know? But and I, what if they're gay? Yeah, and now that's the question <laughs> I ask every single fucking time I <laughs> watch something. No, I think it's fun. I think it's fun. I think we there are a lot of like developing theories about that even with shows from our childhood. Like mm-hmm. um, some people have said, you know, like in that show as told by Ginger, they're like Ginger, oh, yeah. Ginger and Courtney were... Like, they hated each other, but not really. Some real Scissor Sisters there. <laughs> but Great band. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, Take Your Mama? Oh, God, great. Oh, God, I'm going to listen to that right after this. So good. But yeah, so I think um, 
and I so with this movie, it's the um, focusing on this this purity notion that he has, right? Yeah, we get that. That is imported from the original, but it's not explored as as significantly, right? The yes. beauty is a capital punishment or yeah. like a capital offense, right? Yeah, that's a really good pull um, from Calhoun here. Yeah, to have that go more into casting Elijah Wood and then having Elijah's performance do that and having yeah. um, um, Anna ha- be that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where she sees them as this sort of adorkable, virginal yeah. kind of proto... I don't want to use this in a negative connotation because I actually really don't like when people use this term negatively, but incel um, sort of character, right? Yeah, um, she she sees him. She sees him as completely harmless until she doesn't, which is a wonderful acting moment from mm-hmm. her when he's over at her apartment and they go through reveals all of that. just like one thing too many about Rita's death. Yeah, and then she's like, "The police didn't say anything about other women." And then there was it. <laughs> it went in this whole thing, and yeah. So yeah, I think that it's it, it's not just the uh, the aesthetic thing, which is beautiful in both movies, whether it's the uh, putting it in uh, Mexico City in Romeo and Juliet or putting it in yeah. LA in this LA case. in this case and yeah. also the way that things are shot all the fucking wide shots in Romeo and Juliet and then all of the POV shots in this yeah where again yeah literally only POV except for I think three total shots that are less than a sec couple seconds each sure um yeah so I think that's that's something I would tack on to my remake theory that yeah you have to keep the core um delete that which is maybe not helpful and add things that you think that you read into your interpretation and then, yeah, uh, a new shiny coat of paint, so to speak, that's more than just that, that really does enhance it in some way. Yeah, yeah, I I certainly agree with you on that. And I think I think this just kind of prove, proved my theory more that you do need to keep it anchored to something, whether that's you have to choose what you want to anchor it to, because if yeah, you choose too much, points. yeah, where if you choose too much, then it becomes karaoke. Yep. If you change everything, then it's unrecognizable. And, and why are you calling? Why it a are you calling it a remake? You're just kind of taking from, yeah, yeah, bet, it, it, yeah. So yeah, I think you need to choose what you want to change too. On the you know the inverse of the anchor, you need to like how um, do you change the uh, sexuality of two of the characters? How mm-hmm. does that change how the entire world interacts with them? Yeah, do you update? Do you update the uh, relationship? Like even in this one, it's not nobody's sexuality is necessarily changed, but it's you're upping the ante on kind of the relationship. Right. You know, like where you've got the tension, you've got kind of like the not romantic comedy, but romantic comedy tension between those two where she's like, come on, come have a drink with me and my boyfriend. Come on. Like she's, she's telling, she wants to spend time with him and he wants to spend time with her. But as an audience member, we're kind of like, Ooh, like, like serial killer shit aside. Right. (laughs) Like they're, they would make an attractive couple, but I I do really read him as asexual in this movie. Speaking of the sexuality, I read um, Frank as asexual in the remake. Yeah. That's, um, that's no interest in sex fair. whatsoever. Yeah, that's completely not fair. a romantic, but yeah, that's completely fair. But I do think that they do have romantic feelings for right, right, each right, right. Other. I just want, I wanted to make that clear that could like they, I think that those two like exist alongside each other. That yeah. he has romantic feelings for her, but does not Is, desire does not, her physically. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Just, sorry, just clarifying. Yeah, no, I I I don't disagree with that. But yeah, so again, you have to you have to anchor, and then you have to pick. 
things that from your point of view could change. And that's where you put your flavor into it. Mm -hmm. Just like I think Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet was the perfect example where it's a story that's been beat like a dead horse. Like (laughs) it's just it's it's been done. It's been done. It's been done. It's been updated. It's been taken back. It's done all of these things. But then he just decided to kind of say, well, what if we turned this specific dial a little bit over to the left because I just want to fucking see how everyone would interact. What if we with made it story. vibey? Yeah, and what if we made it vibey? Um, Boz Lerman's only note going into any movie is, but what if I made it vibes? No, it's true. It's true. And I mean, Moulin Rouge. Success. <laughs> Gatsby. Success, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that's kind of where I stand as of right now. Yeah. Thinking about that too, I'm just now thinking about Romeo and Juliet, Romeo and Juliet remakes, but uh, the West Side Story oh, is a great sure. example of things you can change. Yeah. Maria Lives. Sorry, yeah. spoilers for a seventy-year-old yeah. musical, sixty-seven-year-old musical, sixty yes. some. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, not sorry at that yeah, point. Yeah, it came out in nineteen fifty-eight, y'all. I don't know, suck my dick. Yeah, um, <laughs> get on it. It's amazing. You've yeah, at least yeah. probably seen a shitty high school production. Come on, Oof. too many of those. Uh, but yeah, the fact that Maria lives and is vengeful. Yeah, where where she's seen as very like angelic throughout the whole thing. Like she's she's paired she's paired in she's put in white. Next to Rita Moreno's like sexy, sexy purple. purple and red. Yeah. You know, and then at the end for her to like take a gun to all these guys many, who have been God, brawling the entire speech. time. She's like, do you do, do you How have enough bullets? Have How many bullets? Still one for me. Is there still one for me? Is Ugh. there one for you? One for you and then one for me. Already crying. How many? Just crying right it's now. It's sick. Natalie Wood but, kills it in the movie. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes, girl. Um. But yeah, I think that's a good note to end on. Yeah, that Natalie Wood fucking ruled. And where's her fucking body walking? Oh, shit. Okay. Before, before <laughs> What happened to her? Before we get into that, you guys know where to find us. We're on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We're on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod. And we're on the internets at www.horrorbabespod.com. And I'm, if you have any information regarding what happened to Natalie Wood, please let me know. Until next closure. time. Until next time. Bye, Bye babes. babes.